and uh, we'll have you turning to different places. Someone asked me this morning, said, since the crowd is at least half less than it should be, are you going to give us the whole sermon? And I said, well, I'd feel kind of bad about shortchanging the ones who made the effort to be here today. So I, I feel like that I ought to give you the whole load. And so we'll just see how it goes. <laughs> we'll just see how it goes. You know, we've, we have, we've been on this uh, journey the last few weeks of kind of realigning our lives and kind of pulling things that have slipped one direction or the other, pulling it back into alignment and trying to get our new year started off uh, on, a, on a good direction, a solid direction. We've talked about things like priorities, where Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all, all of his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. And we've talked about those kinds of things, and, and today I'm going to talk to you. It's probably good that the crowd is a little bit less today, because I'm going to talk about something that most people don't want to talk about, and that has to do with our money. Uh, but money is a very spiritual thing, and I've discovered through the years that when we don't manage our money right and we don't use our resources properly, it doesn't not just bring blessing into our lives, but it can actually bring a curse into our lives. Scripture talks about when we mismanage our money, we don't use it the way that God intends for us to. We don't just miss out on blessings we actually can open the door for a curse to come into our lives. And so I want to talk to you for a little bit about it this morning and talk about this idea of money. And we'll just see uh, where it goes from here. I'm going to close this morning uh, with special prayer. We're going to all gather around and together. I know that we've got a lot of needs in our church right now. We've got people who are sick uh, pneumonia and flu and all those kinds of things, but I'm glad we serve a God who is able to heal us and, and hold us over from all of those things. So we'll close out that way this morning. Let's talk about money. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray this morning that as we talk about this item and this, this issue in our life, that you'll give us the wisdom that we need to be able to speak clearly about what your word declares and that you'll give us the faith to make the necessary adjustments in our life that will allow us to be fully aligned with you and what your word teaches us about the things in our life that have to pertain to money. So Lord, anoint me. Let me speak appropriately today. Anoint this congregation that as they hear that they'll be able to receive with faith and make these necessary adjustments. In Jesus' name, amen. So realignment, living life on the level. Today we're going to talk about this idea that as we align our money management habits with the wisdom and teaching of Scripture, He will be glorified, God will, and people will take note, and it will be a powerful testimony to them about God's provision. In other words, if we do what God calls us to do, He will not only bless us, but he will bless others as well as we see what God is able to do in our lives. Now this morning we think about the, 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 this idea of money management and money problems. We, we would automatically think, well, the answer to that is I need more money. I mean, that would make common sense, wouldn't it? If I, I don't have enough money, then I need more money. And if God would just give me more money 
then I could be more successful in living. But the truth of the matter is, is that it's not having more money that will make a difference, but it will be managing what we currently have. I know a lot of people in life that don't have a lot of money, but they manage what they do have in such a way that they're able to be successful and be a blessing not only in, in their home, but to others as well. As we look at our world and the condition that we're in, the gas and the electricity and the water and our health care and our education, transportation, clothing, all of those things are getting more expensive. Did you realize that? I mean, our electric bills are just, are just crazy. We got ours the other day. And I looked at it and I thought, what in the world? And then I remembered that we put up Christmas tree lights this year or Christmas lights outside on the house. And we said, man, it, it makes a huge difference when you put a few lights outside and your utility bill. But it's all getting more expensive. It's getting higher and higher and higher. And Americans everywhere are really feeling the strain of this economy that we're in, even though it's getting better, and even though there are some good positive things that can come from it, it's tough to manage your money. Did you know that the statistics show that 64% of all married couples argue about money? This would not be a good time for you to say amen. It would, it would not be a good time for you to look at your neighbor, especially if you're married to them. 64% of all married couples argue about money. And did you know that 54% of all divorces are because of mismanaged money issues? It, it, that's what causes more couples to get divorces is when they cannot agree on how to manage their money and how that they uh, can make ends meet. Rick Warren said this. I, th I never heard him say this before, but I liked it. I saw it in print. He said, we need to change the part of the wedding ceremony from till death do us part to till debt do us part. Uh, that, that's a pretty good observation right there. You see, good money management actually has eternal implications. And that's what I want us to get out of this message today. Good money management, not just, it's not just a here and now issue, but it has eternal implications. For instance, did you know that the Bible teaches that God measures your level of spiritual maturity by how you handle your money? You've heard it said that I can tell you how spiritual somebody is by looking at your checkbook register. Because if the things are God, of God are included in your giving and your contributions, then you are spiritually more mature. God measures and evaluates how much he can trust you with spiritual blessing according to how you handle your money. In other words, God's not going to give more to people who don't effectively manage what they already have. And so we have to be understanding of that. And, that the, and here's what we need to understand. The assignments, rewards, and responsibilities that, are you, that you're given in heaven are in direct relationship to how wise a manager you are of your finances and possessions while you're here on earth. 
In other words, when we get to heaven, God's going to use the people who were effective managers on the face of the earth as he runs the heavenly government and and, uh, system there. So, you know, a lot of people say, you know, I don't care about anything about that. All I want to do is not go to hell. If I, if I don't go to hell, then I'm good. I don't, I don't care about anything else. I don't know if I'm well-known. I don't care if I'm well-known in heaven. I don't care if God gives me a responsibility there. I don't care. But let me tell you something. I do care. Because if it's important to God, it ought to be important to me. And what God wants from me is what I should want from me as well. So this morning, I want to talk about five different things very quickly that I think we need to consider when we're talking about our money. Someone said that money problems are, at the core, heart problems and can only be solved by a change of heart that is initiated by repentance. In other words, if I have money problems, it's primarily because I don't have a godly heart. Because if my heart seeks after the things of God, then God will give the provision that is needed. So if I have money problems, it's not because I don't have enough. It's because I'm not trusting God enough with my current situation. So here's the first thing that we have to do if we have financial mismanagement issues in our life. The first thing is we must analyze your current financial condition. Now, as an example, I don't even have to get my wallet out of my pocket to tell you that I don't have any money in my wallet whatsoever. I I bet you I don't have a dollar in there because, and I'm right, I don't have a dollar in there because when I do get money and put it in my wallet, I've got little hands that know where it is and tend to get it out of there. And, And I just don't carry a lot of cash on top of that. I, I, and I already know that. So I find myself in situations where if I need cash, I'm in trouble because I don't have any. I don't carry it. I'm a debit card kind of guy. I'm so thankful for debit cards. It just lights my life up to be able. And now all you have to do is drive through the drive-thru. You don't even have to get that debit card out. You just lay your phone on it and it, it just automatically takes it out of your bank account. I know that some of you say, I don't like that. That's the mark of the beast. That's antichrist, you know, all that kind of stuff. No, it's, it's just the development of our world system. Did you know that they actually say to use a physical check is more dangerous than using electronic methods of payment because it, it, they, can, they can encrypt the digital form, whereas once your check leaves your hand, you don't know where it's going to land. You don't know who's going to get it in their hand, and it's got all of your numbers, your routing number and everything else. And so if they get a hold of your physical check, then they can do whatever they want to do with your money. Whereas with the digital aspect, it is encrypted and it makes it much more difficult. Proverbs chapter 27 verses 23 and 24 says, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? In other words, what he is saying is, is you need to look at your money. You need to determine what you have. 
You need to understand what is in your possession and your ownership so that you can use it effectively for the kingdom of God. So we check our flocks. Now, I've had people say to me, Pastor, I don't even have a clue how to do that. I don't even know how to begin. I don't even know where to begin when I'm trying to analyze my financial situation. Let me give you some tips. First thing you need to know is how much income comes into your life. You need to know how much money you make. You need to know how much your employer is paying you. You need to know whether or not you have another form of income coming in. Are you receiving some kind of government assistance? Do you get food stamps? Do you, do you have a spouse that is paying you spousal support? Do you get child support? Anything that comes into your life as income, you need to be aware of it so that you can add it up. Then you need to understand what your assets are. An asset is anything that you have that is in a positive state in your life. This shirt is an asset. I bought it. I paid for it. I own it. I don't owe anybody for it. If I'm cold or if I need to put a shirt on, I can go to my closet. I can pull this asset out of the closet. I can put it on and use it. So an asset, a house, a car, investments, pensions, Anything that is worth something to you, an asset. And then you need to determine what your debt is. Now, in America today, most people have more debt than they have assets. They have more debt than they have resources to be able to pay it off. That's just the state of America. So you have to ask yourself, do I have debit cards or do I have credit cards do I, do I have a balance on those? Do I owe anything to, on student loans? Do I have a car payment that, that is upside down? Do I owe more money on that car than it's worth? It, 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 is, it is debt. Do I have a mortgage that is debt? I need to understand what all of those things are because it has an impact upon my life and what I can do for the kingdom of God. And then you have to understand what your liabilities are. What's your utility bill? Uh, what, what is your electric bill? What is your water bill? What, what is your gas, your fuel bill? How much groceries do you buy? All of these things have to be balanced and juggled so that at the end of the pay period, you have money left over rather than too much money. Now, I know some of you are thinking, there's not a thing spiritual in the world about you talking about my money. But the fact of the matter is, is that God talked more about money then he talked about anything else. He, did you know that in the New Testament, Jesus talks more about money than he does about heaven or hell put together? Because money has this ability to change our lives. Somebody said money talks. I disagree with that. Money doesn't talk. Money walks. And it quietly goes out your back door when you're not even looking. Did you ever ask yourself, where did my money go? I, I know that I had it. Where did it? I just don't know where it goes. That's the reason that we need to analyze all of these things, what's coming in, what's going out, what is an asset, what is a liability, and how am I going to make that work for the kingdom of God? Secondly, we need to plan what we spend. You'd be surprised how many people don't have a clue what they spend. They don't have any idea whatsoever. I don't know where that money went. I don't, I don't know where it's going. I, I don't know what's going on. 
And we have to have a a plan for what we spend. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. That's what the Bible says. I saw this a couple of weeks ago and I liked it a lot. It says, Our yearnings almost always exceed our earnings. Isn't that true? We always want more than we can afford, or we always want something different than what we have. If we've got this car, we want another car. If we have this house, we want another house. If we want to live in this community, we'd rather live in that community. Our yearnings almost always exceed our earnings. I'm going to say the B word today, and you're just going to have to strap in and live with it for a minute. But you know what will fix this problem? Is that we need to learn how to budget our money. Yeah, budget's a dirty word. It really is. Hey, how many of you just, I mean, you just, I can't wait to get home and do my budget. I just can't wait to get home and, and get the calculator out and do my budget. I, I just want to know. I need to, I need to touch it. I need to feel it. I need to know there's nothing greater than knowing where my money's going. <coughs> it's not that exciting. It really isn't. But the reality is, is that we must plan our spending. You know what a budget is? It's me telling my money where I want it to go instead of it telling me where it's going. That's what a budget is. So if we're going to be successful money managers, we have to be willing to budget. Financial freedom is not determined by how much you make but it is determined by how savvy you are with your budgeting. Financial freedom is based on how you spend, what you save, and where you sow. Take a look at that. Financial freedom is based on how you spend, what you save, and where you sow. Now, let me give you this information. Spending is related to consuming. If I spend it, I am spending my money on something that I'm going to consume. And I'm not ever going to get it back again. It may bring some value to my life, but the money that I spent on that is gone. I don't know. You know, there's always some kind of fad in this world. Have you realized that? I remember back when our kids were younger, Apple came out with these little music devices called iPods. How many of you remember those? iPod. Everybody had to have an iPod. I I remember giving them as Christmas gifts one year and all that. It's like, where can I get an iPod? And it was before you could order things online, you had to go to the physical store. I know some of you think I'm not that old, but I can remember actually having to go to the store. Best Buy, or how many of you remember Circuit City? You remember that? I mean, Circuit City, I just like to walk in there. I could spend an hour in there. We'd go and we, we bought these iPods, and then they came out with another version of the iPod. And then they came out with another version of the iPod. And you know, the other day I was going through some boxes from our recent move, and I dug down in one of these boxes, and out from the bottom I pulled this little bitty uh, purple iPod that I had bought my wife for her birthday one year. I got her an iPod for her birthday. We don't even remember how to use the dumb thing now. But I spent the money, and that thing's been sitting at the bottom of that box for I don't know how long. I've consumed it. 
And so what I spend is based on or is connected to what I, what, what I consume. And so I've got to watch what I'm consuming. Now, don't get the wrong idea here. We all have consumables in our lives. The other day she said, I'm getting ready to put a click list in for Kroger. Do you have anything you need? Oh, yeah. Man, I can start telling her right now. I need milk. I need bread. I need uh, I need cheese. I, I need some uh, I, I need some you know jerky. Some little some little meat to put on the cheese. I need some apples. I need I, I mean I'm rattling off. I was just hoping she'd ask. She makes the she makes the list there, and we get it all ready. But you know what? I'm already consuming it. I've already eaten cheese that I'll never eat again. I've already eaten things that all it is is just to make me happy. It's consumables that we have to have, that we need to have, and so we spend our money on it. Uh, while she was gone, I went out. I was at Kroger, and I bought me a um, frozen pizza, and, and it was on sale for $2.99, and I made up my mind. I wanted some pizza that night, but I didn't want to pay Pizza Hut 20 bucks for one. I mean, you can't hardly get anything at Pizza Hut for less than 15, 20 bucks. That actually has meat on it and that kind of thing. So I bought one of those little $2.99 frozen pizzas primarily because it was three bucks. I didn't get a chance to eat it because I, my daughter-in-law, uh, no, it's my daughter, I think, cooked some, some uh, meatloaf for me and gave me some things and that kind of thing, so I had enough. She comes home, she gets this pizza, she, what's that? I said, that, 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 that was intended to be one of my meals, three bucks. I said, you want to pop it in and eat it with me? I don't think she was that impressed with the pizza. But I didn't want to spend $20 when I could get away with three bucks. You know what I'm saying? And so we have to watch our consumables. Secondly, what we save is related to security. What we save is related to security. Let me tell you something. Everybody here needs an emergency fund because everyone here is going to have an emergency at some point. And you got to have some money to draw from. Our church operates on a budget. We have an emergency fund that we set aside. It's money that we don't touch unless there is a... Exactly right. Now this year we had more emergencies than we had savings. So we had to come to the church and say, hey, we had a water break, water line. We, we had a sewage backup. We had this. But you know what we're doing now? We're, we're beginning to build those funds back up. Why? Because we will, if the Lord tarries, we will have another emergency. But it's nice to be able to reach into that fund and to be able to spend the money and invest the money in that emergency. You know what most people use as an emergency fund? A credit card that is charging them 27 to 29% interest. Now, I'm not throwing darts at anybody, but listen, you're never going to win in an environment like that. So you've got to learn how to, to, uh, to manage your money. And then finally, sowing is related to spiritual expectation. You hear me say it all the time. Expect the best. Expect the best. Expect the best. You know why I can expect the best? Because I know I've got seed in the ground. 
I don't have just financial seed in the ground, but I've got other kinds of seed that's in the ground that my Bible tells me is going to eventually come to a place where I can harvest from the seed that I have in the ground. So I have to learn how to sow. Thirdly, we have to learn to save for our future. Proverbs 21 and 20 says, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling but a foolish man devours it. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 11 says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Have you ever seen how a bird or a squirrel lays up for the wintertime? They don't go get them a wheelbarrow and start trying to get all the nuts in the wheelbarrow and then, and then come pulling that thing on their back. They'll take one nut at a time, one nut at a time, one more nut. Give me another nut. I'm going to go get me another nut because I'll need that nut in the wintertime. Birds, give me another seed. Get me another nest built. Give me another place. They do it one little thing at a time. And I don't know how many times I've heard people say, if I could ever just get a windfall, if I could ever just get $1,000, if I could ever just start investing with $1,000, if I could ever uh, get enough money that I could do this, you know, it's never going to happen. Never going to happen. You got to do it one little bit at a time. That's the way you do it. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 8 says, Go to the ant, you lazy sluggard, and consider her ways, and be wise, because without having a chief... Without having an officer, without having a ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Nobody has to tell the ant that they need to save. Nobody has to tell the ant to get ready because bad weather's coming. She instinctively knows. And the children of God need to know that I've got to lay aside what I have now for the rainy day. I like the verse that says that, that there is treasure in a wise man's house. There's oil there. There's something that they have squirreled away for a good day. And they know where it is when they need it. My grandmother used to be that way. I'd go to visit her and, and she'd, be, she'd hear the grandbabies talking about. And, it, and I was one of those and talking about this and talking about. And she'd go get her little Bible. And she'd, she'd come over and she'd ask us to sit in her rocking chair with her. And she'd just she'd kind of peel it over to here. And she'd reach in there and she'd add a dollar bill in there and she'd take that dollar bill out and she'd give it and she'd say now don't tell anybody I, I thought I was the special one I thought I was the only one that was getting dollar bills I later discovered that she did that with all of us I wasn't special at all but she'd squirrel that money away and she had it. It was available. But the Bible says that an unwise individual, if they ever build something up, it's like, I'm going to eat it now. I'm going to have it now. I'm going to spend it now. I may not live another day, so I might as well spend what I have now. You got to learn to worship. You have to learn how to save. And then fourthly, and this is where if you, want, if you need to get up and leave, this would be a good time for you to do it now. We, we, we just simply have to learn how to worship God with our tithe and our intentional giving. It, it, I, I, you know, Lord, help me to be nice. But if we're not tithing, we are not fulfilling the will of God for our lives. We're just not. 
Because the word of God tells us to tithe. In the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 10 says, From the days of your fathers, you have turned away from my statutes, and you have not kept them. So return to me, and I will return to you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And the next verse says, well, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and in your contributions. So you are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me and the whole nation of you. So in verse 10, he says how to fix it. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heavens for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but it's just as clear as anything that I've ever read in Scripture. That if we're not paying our tithe, bringing our tithe to the house of God, then we are robbing God from what he requires of us. Some of you may say, well, I'm young in the Lord. I don't really know what a tithe is. What is it? Tithe just simply means 10% of what you make. Really, it goes beyond that. It's 10% of your assets. It's really, if you go all the way back to where tithing began at with, with, in Genesis with Abram, and when he brought the tithe to Melchizedek, it wasn't just on his paycheck. It was based on the assets. It was based on what he owned, and he brought the tithe to Melchizedek. So if it blesses you, and if it produces financial benefit to you, then it should be tithed on. He said, well, you know, that's one of those things, Pastor, if I ever get to the place where my bills are paid and I'm living comfortably and I got more than I need, I, I might consider tithing at that time. You see, it doesn't work that way. Because God said in Malachi 3, he said, you are far from me, but if you will come to me, then I will come to you. In other words, the first step of it is ours. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of taking God at his word. It's a matter of saying that if I tithe, that he's going to open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing on me that I will not be able to contain. My kids are going to be blessed because I paid tithe. I am blessed today because my mom and dad paid tithe and their mom and dad paid tithe. It's a part of our DNA and what we're made up with. And because of that, there's blessing that goes around. Some people will say, well, that's an Old Testament scripture, and we don't live by Old Testament anymore. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2 says, Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also are you to do. And on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. What he's saying is, is that this is something that the child of God should just automatically do. I don't know if you remember, but several years back now, I, I got convicted over this feeling that every time we'd come to church, I'm having to stand up here and, 
and, and say, we need money. We need for you to pay your tithe. We need for you to give. We got this. We got that. We're in this kind of situation. We're in that kind of circumstances. And, and the Lord just began to talk to me. In fact, he threw a pastor friend of mine. He said, God's not going to bless you as long as you're taking so much time talking about money. Why don't you just trust him? Why don't you just throw a couple of boxes on the back of your church wall and let people know that they're there and that they can give of their own free will and accord and I will bless them and I will bless you in the process. And we've been doing that for a long time. I seldom ever get up here and say anything about you paying your tithe or giving in your offering. We've got people that they just automatically do it. It just comes in. And did you know that starting on Friday of every week, we've got people that they start taking their phones out. They got paid on Friday morning, so I'm paying my tithe, paying my tithe. We've got some that it's set up on recurring giving, and they've got it so it's the first thing that comes out of their check every Friday when they get paid. Boom, send it to the house of the Lord. My wife, we get paid every two weeks. First thing she does, she'll ask, she'll say, did we get paid? Is it in the bank? Is it transferred there? It is. Boom. I'm paying my tithe. Boom. I'm giving my offering. And not only that, I'm not bragging on us. We've got a house full of people who know that paying tithe is not only the right thing to do for the house of God, but it's the right thing to do for you. It will bring blessings into your life. Rick Warren says that there are three reasons why everyone should pay tithe. First of all, he said it expresses gratitude. You know, if you go to a restaurant today after church and you go in and a waitress or a, wait, or a waiter comes over and, and, and they, they take care of you, when they bring your bill, you know what you'll do at the end? Or I, what I hope you'll do is that you will tip them. And you'll say, well, it was a percentage. Some of us, you know, tip at 20%, 15%, 10%. You know, I, it doesn't matter to me whether they were good or not. I tip them 20% because I want them to make a good living. I really do. And you say, well, you're bringing it on yourself. No, I'm, I'm giving you some instruction here that as a child of God, my primary responsibility is to be a blessing to other people. I don't care if they cuss me out. I'm going to bless them. I don't care if they pour water down me. I'm going to bless them. Because that is my responsibility to minister to them and bless them. So tithing, when we bring all of our tithe into the storehouse, it is a, an expression of gratitude to God for all that he's done for us. Secondly, Rick Warren says, it establishes priorities. You see, when we get our check in, in the mail or however we get it, if we start paying everything else, before we give to God what is rightfully His, it sends a strong message to Him that we don't put Him first. Remember Matthew 6 and 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things shall be added to you. He had just been talking about the birds and God taking care of the birds. He had been talk, talking about taking care of the animals of the field. God will take care of them. They trust Him. They believe that their needs will be met. And we've got to get to the place where we just say, God, what's yours is yours. I'm not going to withhold it. I'm going to give it to you. And I believe you're going to give me everything else that I need in this life. Scripture already says that he has already given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. 
That means not only can I be a divinely inspired individual of God, I can also have everything that I need for life because God has provided it. And then finally, he says, it exhibits faith. I've already talked about that. But if I, if I think if I hoard my money from God, if I keep it, then I'm the guy that is driving the car. I'm the guy that's making the decisions. My provision depends upon me and not on what God can do. But when I give to God what is rightfully his, then everything else becomes his responsibility. I've told both of my kids, As they've grown through life, there have been seasons of life where they've had hardships and difficulties. And I just smile at them and say, trust God, you're a tither. And because you're a tither, God's going to set up and take notice. And he's going to bless you in ways that won't make sense to anybody else. But it will make sense to you. Because tithers understand. Doesn't mean that I'm going to be free of difficulty. Doesn't mean that I'll have a bill that I didn't expect. Doesn't mean I might have some that I won't have something that comes up that I've got to deal with. What it means is, is that I'm walking in tandem with the God of this universe. And he is able to do in me, through me, and for me all things that are necessary for life. And then I'm ready to close. Somebody say amen. Come help me if you will. There's a fifth thing, and it is simply this. We have to learn how to to. To enjoy the joy of contentment. Contentment. Did you know that most of the time we're so busy getting more that we don't have any time to enjoy what we already have? We're we're, We're so tuned in to what we can get next that we don't even enjoy what we already have. But Scripture teaches us to enjoy what we have and to be content with where we are. There are four phases of this, of this idea of getting, getting out of contentment. And the first one is that we have a desire for something that we absolutely don't need and can't afford. It's what I said earlier. Our, our yearnings are often greater than our earnings. But we want something so badly, our desire gets out of control. We start finding ways that we can do that. I want to do that. I want to have that. I want to own that. I need that. I got to have that. What can I not spend on so that I can spend on this? Now our desire gets out of balance. We see that new TV. Or we see that new car. Or we see that new house. Or we see something that just really, really lights our fire. And you know what happens is when we start spending that money, our bubble gets out of the middle. You know, I've just about determined that any time that you feel like that you absolutely must buy something on credit, like a car or a house or whatever it is, walk away from it. And if you need to come back and reconsider, then do so. Because let me tell you, that salesman that's trying to tell you how great it is and how wonderful it will be, they're not going to be around when you pay the first mortgage payment. And when you have to pay the first car payment, they're not going to be home. You can call them and say, hey, I bought this car from you about a month ago. Would you go halvesies on this with me? 
They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it because they're all about the sale. And listen, we're not about the sale. We're about doing what needs to be done so that we can enjoy life and have contentment. So it goes from desire to debt. We overextend ourselves financially. And then the debt goes to duty bound. How many of you know that once you're in debt, you have no choice but to make that payment? You've made a commitment. You have to do it. You're duty bound. The scripture says for us to not be slave to the lender. I didn't expect to get a whole lot of amens this morning. But I'm telling you some good stuff today. If you want to shout and fall out on the floor, go ahead. That'll be all right too. But if you'll apply some of these things to your life, you'll find that God will bless you. Duty bound. My wife and I, we sold our house in Tennessee and we made a commitment, a covenant together that we wanted to spend the rest of our lives being givers to people who are in need. We've, we've always paid our tithe and given in the offering and all that, but we wanted to look for opportunities to bless others. We wanted to see someone who's, who's in need and say, I have some resources that I can sow into their life and that I can bless them. Let me tell you, it's the greatest feeling in the world when you know that someone who has been in need is now blessed because you've been able to resource them in such a way that it changes their situation. But if you're duty bound to debt, you'll never be able to live like that and you'll never be able to do those things. And so to manage your money properly will bring you to a place where you'll be able to be a blessing to others. And then the final thing is, is death. Now, if you're in debt, I don't mean you're going to die. Here's what I do mean. Your dreams will die because you have your resource for your dream tied up in debt, tied up in something else. You're duty bound to something else. And this dream that you've had and that you always held on to cannot be realized because something else has taken its place. And so we have to live with this burden of realizing that we have taken everything that God intended us to use for the realization of our dreams. And we've used it on something that will bring no value to our life at all. So it goes to death. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 9 says, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after what blows in the wind. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then Philippians chapter 4 verses 11, 13. Said, now that, not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I've learned that whatever situation I'm in, to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. And then he says, I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. Don't let your stuff get the better of you. You say, well, the church must be low on money because he is talking about it. No, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to move you from this place of frustration because of your money management situation, trying to move you to a place where you can be abundantly blessed. God doesn't want you to live in this heaviness of debt and frustration and there's never enough. The the Bible says the devil came to kill you, to steal from you, and to destroy you. He said, but I came that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. Some of the needs of the church will be met when God's people are just simply obedient to the Word of God. Did you know that if every individual in our church would just simply pay tithe, we'd be able to do things that we can't even imagine that we'd be doing because there'd be more than enough resources. But more than that, instead of our people dragging around under the weight of the debt, we'd be able to square our shoulders and say, I never thought it was possible, but praise God, because of Him, I am free from the weight of this money situation. Talk about all this stuff about the stock markets going up, stock markets going down. I know people that every day they sit there and they watch that ticker. Ticker, ticker, ticker. Up, down. Oh my goodness, down. Oh, should I sell? Going up, I need to buy some more. I mean, they're just crazy about it. What we got to learn to say is whether or not the ticker's going up or the ticker's going down. My God is able to supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Let me tell you how this works and then we're going to pray. I was coming to the office here a couple weeks ago. And as I always do, I'm taking the dog outside to do his business and enjoy life for a little while. And, and I go over and I start my truck so that it'll warm up. I went over and I started the truck. It started, wakes up everybody in the neighborhood. I love it. Makes you feel manly when that diesel starts cranking like that. Somehow, my hand hit the door lock And when I closed the door, the door locked and the keys were inside and it was running. I thought, oh Jesus, what am I gonna do now? And I knew I was low on diesel. I knew I already had to get it that day. I was aware of it and I'm thinking, oh God, please don't let me run out of diesel. I called Cook's Locksmith. They had to come all the way from Louisville, all the way to Mount Washington. And I asked them, I said, can you hurry? Why? Because my keys are locked in and I'm low on fuel. They got there about 30 minutes later and it's still boom, 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 boom. And I'm praying, laying hands on it. In less than a minute, the guy had the truck open and he turned around and he said, $58, please. I was proud to give him the $58, but I wasn't planning on spending it that way that day. So I thought to myself, oh man, you know, 58 bucks. And then it's, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I am a tither. And because I'm a tither and because I'm a giver, God's going to meet my need. I drove over to Kroger. I went in. It asked me, said, are you a Kroger uh, member? I said, yes, I am. Put my number in. It came up and he said, and and the machine said, you are eligible for a 20 cent per gallon uh, discount. 
big old tank on that diesel truck. By the time it was all said and done, by the end of the day, I'd recovered my $58 and then some. You say, oh, come on, that was a coinky-dink. No, you can call it whatever you want to do. My God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. When I manage my money with the kingdom of God at the forefront, God will always supply my need and He will never let me down. I hope you believe that today because it's true. Somebody said, you're going to You're going to preach shorter? No, I didn't. But what I gave you today is going to be the best thing that you get all day long if you'll take it and apply it to your life. Stand with me if you will. I want to ask you to come down front with me today.